turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm just going to read the first few verses. Nehemiah 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep it. Nehemiah 8, starting with verse 1, when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. We only have 45 minutes or so here, folks. Before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, uh, Urijah, uh, Hilkiah, Messiah, and his left, Padiah, Mishael, Malijah, Hashem, uh, you can get the rest. And number five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it up, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord and their faces to the ground. Let's pray. Father, we now open your word, and we pray that our ears would be as, t- as attentive as these people were a few thousand years ago. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, cause us, Lord, to hear with understanding hearts, but also obedient hearts, that we may grow in your grace, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I believe this is the first time we have ever studied the exact same text two weeks in a row, the exact same text. I mean, usually we're in the same chapter, moving on, but the exact same text. But I have no doubt that the Spirit of God wants us to have this eight chapter take deeper root in our spirit and our commitment to hearing from the voice of the Lord. God wants us to hear his voice. We hear so many sounds throughout the day, don't we? But he wants us to hear his voice. Not all the background noise, but his voice. That said, what an insightful and powerful message from Sam Nadler last week from this passage. As I mentioned, he asked my permission. We were driving from the airport on Saturday. I was driving him uh, from the airport. He had just arrived. And he asked my permission to share from this chapter and text. He knew I was moving into the eighth chapter. uh, And I had no issue with it at all. I knew the Lord, uh, if he had placed that section of text on his heart, that God would use it to stir hearts and uh, in the lives of those who are here. I'll admit, I had a little bit of intimidation, at least back on Monday or Tuesday when I was to, you know, getting back into it uh, before reteaching the same text that Sam had preached from. But as I considered, I briefly considered just moving straight to chapter 9. Uh, but that's just my flesh. By the way, the longer I pastor and the longer I teach the Word, I really could care less and less what anybody thinks about my teaching. 
And I mean that, and, and hopefully uh, this makes sense. I don't care in the sense that as long as the Lord is pleased with whatever he calls me to teach. It was, someday I will not, when I stand before God, he will not say, you know, you did not make those 170 people real happy. But if he says, but you made me smile, I'll be good. How about that? So I, it, 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 you, what you desire if you're going to teach the Word of God is that the Spirit anoints the teaching regardless of what God wants you to say. And, and my, always my prayer is when I teach or when Sam teaches or Pastor Tito teaches, that you hear the Lord. It, we're just really not that big a deal that you just hear from God. And that's why we want to open the Word together, not only this Sunday, but every Sunday. But the Lord has His reasons as to why we're, in essence, tag-teaming, me and Sam, tag-teaming the same portion of text. Paul mentions this as far as tag-teaming. Did you know that's part of the whole ministry of the church? Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Um, and it applies to the teaching of the Word of God, but also so many other things in just the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Gospel. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. You probably have heard this, but understand it. It's how God tag-teams things through the ministry of people. He says, So then, neither he who plants is anything... Did you catch that? He who plants, he, not that he's anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Isn't that great? Did you know that it says he who plants is nothing? Did you know that the, the best Bible teachers on the radio are nothing in some sense? But collectively, we're all one teaching the Word of God. That's, that's the Lord's desire. And last week, Sam planted a depth of insight. I, I gleaned some great things. I took notes, marked up my Bible, and great insight, great understanding. And today, I'll endeavor to plant some additional, more of what the Lord has given to me and to cultivate and even refer back to a little bit of what Sam presented last week. You see, the Word of God is so deep that we could have 52 different individuals preach Nehemiah chapter 8 for 52 straight weeks and the Lord would touch on a different angle every single time. Every single time. A different perspective. Same core truths, but just some different, kind of like a diamond, just as a light, as the sun moves around and just it hits different angles. Yet the foundational truths, the cornerstone of what God is commanding, it would only become more settled in our hearts and minds. That's what God's desire. That's why we're to have the teaching of the Word on a weekly basis, and you be in the Word because God wants to settle it deeper and deeper and deeper. And this is precisely why I believe the Lord has a second week in a row of us covering these same verses. These verses, if you, if you noticed, it's the opening of the law. It's the opening of the Word. And so these verses, they spotlight the importance of God's Word. This is why you and I need daily bread, Right? Jesus said, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Daily bread. Daily drinking from the Word of God. The Bible, not always the same verses, but the same book, day after day after day, penetrating our hearts, bringing us nearer and nearer to the heart of God. If you want to get close to the heart of God, get close to the Word of God. There is no substitute for the Word 
in transforming, in healing, in strengthening, in leading, in perfecting the lives and souls of people. There's no substitute. There's not a new bestseller at Lifeway that will ever beat the Bible. You can live without every other book, but you can't live without this one. Did you hear me? You can live without every other book. I enjoy reading. I enjoy learning. I enjoy reading other books and other authors. But we can empty the Library of Congress. We can empty Amazon and their data warehouses of digital books. We can empty Barnes & Noble, Lifeway, you name it. We can lose every other book and we'll be okay as long as we still have the Bible. Do you believe that? We would be okay if all the other books were gone. You know, brothers and sisters around the world speaking of persecuted church next week, they will do anything to get one page of the Bible and fold it up in tiny pieces and hide it. This book is the one that opens eyes. This book is the one that lights our path. There's wisdom in other books, but this one provides living water. Living water, this book that you're holding. It's been said, it's true, this is the only perfect thing you're going to hold, this from here until the other side when you get to heaven. This is the only perfect thing you'll hold. Everything else will be tainted, but not the Word of God. There's value in other books, but this book is invaluable. Invaluable. There's truths in other books, but this book contains absolute and eternal truths. I've told you before, all truths are not the same. It's true that this shirt has blue stripes. That's not important. It's true that Jesus bears the stripes of our suffering. That's very important. Both are true, but one has life-saving truth. The other is not so important. Does that make sense? All truths are not equal. Truth is truth, but the spiritual truths are conveyed by God in his word. The psalmist says in Psalm 138 too, for you have magnified your word above your name. Amazing, isn't it? The name of God is holy, and we're to bow down before the name of God, but God conveys his character in his word. Ten times. Any, how many of you read Genesis chapter 1? If you haven't, you're in trouble. <laughs> you have a homework assignment. Read Genesis chapter 1. And, and don't stop, well, not in one day, but continue reading until you've read the whole Bible. Little by little, work your way through the whole Bible. But in Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, ten times in Genesis 1, it says these words, God said. Ten times in Genesis 1, God said. You think God's trying to get a message across right out of the gate? God said. Are we listening? In fact, are we seeking? Are we hearing? Are we obeying what God said? Speaking to the bride of Christ, the church, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, it says that he, being Christ, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the what? Word. The Word washes us. Not the only, it's through the blood of Christ, but until, you, by the way, the Word will not wash you on a, this is a, it's called a sanctifying, it's not a salvation washing. If you're saved, you're saved by the blood of Christ. But once you're saved, the word is your kind of like daily washing, if you will. 
The word kind of washes, and, and then it's kind of like the word is like getting under the sink, and when the lights are on, you see, oh, there's still, there's still paint under my nails. There's still dirt, or there's still grass stain. And the word is the one that has that daily cleansing, if you will. The word of God, it refreshes us. It cleanses us. It is spiritual hydration to your thirsty soul. The word is spiritual hydration. But you have to drink it in. You have to be filled. You have to be immersed. And this is always a choice. How many of you drink enough water? Like four of us, right? <laughs> and I'm not of the four. I'm not good at this. I've been told. I've been seeing the studies. I've gotten the tweets. I've gotten the little uh, Facebook things. Like, you should be drinking this much water. And if you're not, these are the problems that you're probably you know, experiencing all this stuff. Your doctor, you didn't drink more water. We know we're supposed to, and yet we still don't. It's the same with the Word of God. We know we need it, and yet at times, it's not really where it should be. It's always a choice. It's a wise and life-giving choice, but nonetheless, it's a choice. If you're taking notes, time of the Word is water from the Word. As I mentioned, Sam um, did a great job last week. And one of the things he highlighted that he, he kind of had his focus area because he, he had done the Feast of Tabernacles 10 years earlier and he thought you remembered all that stuff. But uh, <laughs> tried to tell him, I'm not sure they remember all of that. But 98% uh, of it, Sam, sure. But about 2% they probably don't remember now. But, uh, but he did a great job of kind of showing this from the application of uh, the Feast that are found here because obviously the Feast are mentioned, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, and then in the ninth chapter, we get to the Day of Atonement, which they actually moved the schedule at that time because the people weren't quite ready. So they moved the Day of Atonement, which we'll get to in the ninth chapter. But he did a great job of uh, explaining the Feast of the Booze and the centrality of both pointing to Messiah. He you know, talked about even the, the weakness of the booze, talking about Jesus, the weakness of his flesh. But actually, uh, in that weakness... He did the strongest thing that's ever been done. And, and we find both the commands to understand and the commands to follow the feast, or at least the children of Israel, they found, um, I'm saying when Ezra opened these books, they found what God wanted them to do, what they should have been doing. Why? Because of the written word. It was the, because of the word that they knew what to do because Moses had written it down. It wasn't they were making this stuff up saying, you know what we should do? We should have some feast of booths. It was already written. It was already given to them in the scrolls. And so what Sam was showing is the fact that they returned to these things. Why did they return to these things? They returned to them because of the word of God. It was because of the word that they returned to the things that were already in the word. In other words, the word brings two things to us on a regular basis, revelation and reminders. Do you agree with that? The Word constantly brings us revelation and reminders. And we need both because we forget things that are important about 10 minutes after we get them, right? We don't forget dumb stuff. You know, if it's useless trivia, we're great at that. But if it comes to spiritual depth, we forget it rather quickly. So we need the reminders of God, but we need more than just reminders. We need revelation. We need God to reveal where we're at and what it means to us personally. And as we came through uh, chapters 6 and 7, if you think back to the 6 and 7 chapters, we saw God do this miraculous work through the people, bringing them through their fears, 
bringing them through their inadequacies, bringing them through the lack of skills they might have had, bringing them through the threats and the intimidation, Sanballat and Tobiah and all these different uh, just attacks, the internal strife, the delays. You ever had these things in your life, internal strife, delays, fears, attacks, treading water, but by prayer and by just keep following the voice of God and hard work and ultimately by the grace of God, the walls were built up. The gates were finally completed and hung. And then Nehemiah, remember, he went through the registered genealogies, a painstaking process, all the way to understand the God-given roles and resources and how God wanted to arrange and organize the people. We see at the beginning of verse eight, uh, chapter 8, when the seventh month came, the children were in their cities. God had arranged, here's where I want each person to be. Why did it matter how God arranged the people and the families and the roles? Because although you think about the physical structures, although the temple had been rebuilt, that came first with Zerubbabel coming back under the command of Cyrus the Great. Although the temple had built, been rebuilt first, and then the walls had be, been rebuilt, they were built for spiritual needs, they were built for physical needs, and they were built for practical needs. All those things were important when, when it comes to the temple and the walls of the city. But the focus of the Lord was then, and still is today, is rebuilding lives. Rebuilding lives. To tabernacle or to dwell within us. That he would be our walls. That Jesus would be our fortress. What does he say of himself? He's the rock. That he is the living word. That also that we are fitted together. So the walls were all these stones fitted together. And those of you that are going to Israel with us in, in um, February, late February, uh, you'll see that what's left of the western wall there and how they're fitted together. And even under the city where you see the walls, the foundational walls, how they're fitted together. But Jesus wants to fit us together, knitted together. The temple and the structure of the walls they needed to be revived. They had fallen down. There was rubble. They needed to be revived. But more so, the hearts and lives of the people needed to be revived. God's not more concerned about bricks than he is the hearts and lives of individuals. And so Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites, they gathered the people together to allow the work of the Lord to be performed in them as it was with the stones, as it was with the gates. And how would this be done? Would it be done by Nehemiah giving a rousing speech? Nope. By Ezra preaching a sermon? Nope. No, it would be accomplished by opening the word. This church can survive anything in our lives if we continue to do what? Open the Word of God. That's what God did. He even had them set up a little platform like this. Probably a better platform than this, but anyway, they set up a platform so that people could hear, that they, audibly they could hear the Word of God. And the first thing we see that they did, if you're taking notes, uh, they took time to open it. You took time to be here today. You set your alarm, or if you're an early riser, you don't have to set an alarm. Anyone else like me that 
when you have somewhere to be, you don't need to set the alarm at all. You just, you just, know, you, you just wake up. If it's 4 a.m., you'll wake up at 4 a.m. If it's needed for 5 a.m., you'll wake up at 5 a.m. Uh, if it's something important, the bottom line is we make time for it. And folks, it is time that we make time for the Word of God. Do you believe that? Ezra and Nehemiah, they said, we've got to open the Word. The city gates open is a good thing, but the Word open is a better thing. It's always a good time to open the Word of God, but we neglect and we forget that something as critical as air and water to our souls has been given to us by God. We forget that God's given us something this vital. But we don't consider it this vital. But he says it is. Jesus said, you can live with it. Man cannot live by bread alone. But he can live by the words of God. Hey, the unsaved world can live by bread, but they're not really living unless they're actually feeding on the word of God. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light into our path. Job said in Job 23, 12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I wish I could always say that. But oftentimes, I'm looking way more forward to a certain meal. Am I lonely? Some of you are looking forward to today's lunch. You, you have it in mind. It's going to be a good one. We're hitting five guys like we never hit it before. <laughs> uh, we're going there. Uh, I'm going to get extra cheese on it. Whatever it is, you, I'm, I'm messing with you on purpose, getting you extra hungry. But that you would see that God says the word is more important than that. Our flesh desires these things. You know, I'm not, not, not that. I have tacos on my mind. Now you do. If you didn't before, you do too. But, but God is saying these are, the th these are the things that you automatically desire. But God says, I want to cultivate in you a desire for. I love that it says the bread of heaven, or you know, even the word is compared to manna, that the Bible comes down out of heaven. This, when you read it, really is heavenly food. It really is. It can, it can communicate with your soul where a burger cannot <laughs> communicate with your soul. But you know what? If you've been feeding other things other than the Word, if you've been drinking in other things instead of the Word, you're going to find yourself starving and hungry and thirsty. Notice the people. They first come together as one man. Now, all the people gather as one man, verse 1 there. This, by the way, is God's desire for his church, the body of Christ, to be as one, to be knitted together as one. It's not that some of you need the word. It's not that some of us need the word. It's not that some of us in here need, well, a few of us in here need a prayer life kind of anchor everybody else. Some of us need worship. Some of us need to be a witness. No, all of us with your different personalities and your different backgrounds and the different areas where God saved you out of and the different trials you've come through, all of us are like different body parts, but to be one body. And not only us, but our brothers and sisters around the world, different denominations, God uses as one. But notice that they gather together as one man, and they gather at the water gate. Uh, you remember we looked at the ten different gates. We went through all of them. And it's a picture, remember that the water gate was the gate where they had to physically bring water in through that gate. Water had to be brought in. It had to be intentional, bringing water in through that gate. 
And as those 10 gates were being rebuilt and rehung, the water gate, it was, it was a necessity that you bring water into the city. A city can't survive without water. All cities need it. Ancient cities today. Uh, but just as the water had to be diverted and intentionally brought in through the outside into the water of the Word of God has the necessity and the intentionality needed of being brought from the outside of us, from the Lord, into our hearts and into our lives, from the hand of God. We need, I didn't write the Word of God, you didn't write it. It was an outside of us work of God, but we have to intentionally open the gate and let the water in. It has to be the access. The Word God desires to let the word flow into our lives with water, but we have to open the gate to the word. And the people have come to the very place where now they want the word. They desire the word. They want the wisdom of the word. They want the comfort of God's word. They want the purity that comes with God's word as much as they want literal water. Notice what it says. Uh, verse 1. And they told, they being the people, plural, and they told Ezra the scribe, bring us the book of the law. The people said, please read us the word. Please open the word. Please teach us what God wants us to know. They've come to see that the old truths are actually the way to life. Do you believe that? That all the new modern books philosophies, and anything that anyone comes up with, if it is not found in the Word of God, it may be new, but it's not worth anything. But the old truths, Scriptures say the old paths, they are life-giving. D.L. Moody, I love what he, listen to this quote from D.L. Moody. He says, a great many people seem to think the Bible is out of date, that it is an old book that's past its day. They say it was a very good work for the Dark Ages and that there is some very good history in it, but it was not intended for the present time. This is in the late 1800s, by the way. We are living in a very enlightened age, and men can get on very well without it. Now, you might just as well say that the sun, which has shone so long, is now so old that it's out of date. Yeah, we don't need the sun anymore. It's been around for a couple thousand years. Do we still need the sun? Oh, yeah. Take away the sun for a couple of weeks, and the earth would just, all the biodiversity and this dependent systems, the, it, everything, people would die in no time flat. But just as the sun is old, but just as needed, every generation needs the sun, every generation needs the Son of God found in the Word of God. Earth cannot survive without the sun, nor can it survive without water. We cannot survive without the sun. We cannot survive without water. And more than we know, we desperately need the Word of God. More than we know. No matter how long I've been saved, and I got saved in 1995, I still say, Lord, show me how much I need you. Show me how much I need your Word. Because I, I, I can forget. Now the people are spiritual thir spiritually thirsty. They're like, we're thirsty. Please open the Word. They want to be re-strengthened and rebuilt as they've seen with the walls. They want to be revived and restored as they've seen with the city. They want the, word, the, the water of the word to flow 
into the gates and into their hearts and come through the gates of the city. Notice that, again, as they request the word, they not only request it, but they stand. They stand, which is a show of respect and honor and saying that the word is worthy of us kind of laying aside anything else and giving it our 100% attention. You might, did you know that when, they, when, the, when the word was taught, they stood the entire time? Now, next time Tuan says stand to worship, just keep that in mind. It's only been nine minutes. You're going to be okay. They stood the entire time to listen to the word. This is how thirsty they were. They're like, no, we want, we want to hear it. We want to be, we want to be not nodding off asleep. We want to be wide awake hearing it. We want to receive it with an alertness. It wasn't boring to them now. It wasn't a waste of their time. No, they're making time. This was six hours they stood, at least six. It could have been more, but we know it was at least six hours of standing to listen to the Word of God. Brother and sister, are you thirsty for the Word of God? If the Holy Spirit's asking you right now, are you thirsty, what would be your answer? Uh, not that much. I still want those tacos more. Do you know and are you willing to admit that you need spiritual hydration? That, that God's given you a canteen that's right at your side. Will you drink from it or not? If you are, if you're willing to commit to making the Word of God a priority in your life, if you're willing to sit under it, to read it, and to study it. Not just read it, but to study it. God will do more than you can imagine in your life. And God will bless areas of your life that there may be roadblocks or hurdles in your life right now that will never, and I mean ever, be gone until you say, I'm going to make the Word of God a priority in my life. You can pray all day long. God says, have you read my Word? I don't have time for that. I don't have time to answer your prayer. I'm not saying that God answers it that way. I'm, it was my wording. I'm not going to speak for him, but, uh, but you know, in my life, I kind of have this sense of the Spirit where God is telling me to do something, and I'm being negligent in one other area, and God will kind of spotlight that and say, I've already asked you to do this, but you're asking for this. So the Lord is saying to the people, I'm going to remove some roadblocks. I'm going to remove some hurdles, but you need to remove the excuses that are keeping you from the Word of God. You may have no idea. I have found this in my life. You might have, and I'm speaking for me too, we may have no idea the connected things that are connected with us being negligent to drink in the Word of God. That we think, well, that's not related to. Oh, yeah, it is. Unrelated things are very related in the spiritual realm. And by the way, uh, this lengthy reading of the law it was required to do what they're doing every seven years. Every seven years, they were supposed to have this lengthy reading of the law. Now, they had a holy convocation every Sabbath. They were supposed to gather each Sabbath for, for a holy convocation. But this lengthy reading was every seven years by the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was always to be done at the Feast of Tabernacles, not every Feast of Tabernacles, but every seventh year, they were to read this lengthy reading of the law but it had been neglected since the captivity. So 
minimum 170 years or longer. They hadn't even kept it. What things have we not kept that God has been saying again and again, why are you still not, why are you still not obeying me in this? Why are you still not in my word? Why are you still not committing to growing in prayer? Uh, take note that everyone needs the word of God as well. The men, the women, the children, everyone needs the word of God, all ages, all backgrounds. And then, not only do they need the word, but he also provides Ezra and the Levites to explain the word. And God still has that today. Then he had apostles, then pastors. And so the heart of the Lord is that you would not just fill, be filled with the word, but that you would understand and know what the Lord is saying. He said that, that, that they give the people ears they were attentive, but also uh, that in verse 7, he helped the people understand the law. This is Ezra was preaching, but also some of the Levites. They would read the word and to make sure here's what it means in context. God desires, by the way, we, we're, not to, um, we're not under the law now. There's a beauty in still you know, Sam and other brothers and sisters around the world that actively take, take part in the feast and, and they reveal so much beautiful truths and we want to do another Seder eventually here. And So there's great things about the feast. But we're not under the law per se anymore. We're under the age of grace and Christ. But we're not to wait seven years or even seven days. Oh, I get my fill of the word every seventh day. That's on Sunday. I get my fill. No, we're to get filled every day. But God may do amazing things at different junctures of the teaching of his word. That's why the public proclamation of it is important, but the private consumption of it is our responsibility. Let's take a look at two other things as we kind of move through this in, in a timely manner here. We also want to take time to apply. It's not enough to read, but are we going to take what the Lord gives us and actually do something with it? Sam did a great job last week explaining that there's joy in knowing the truths of God and even greater joy in applying the truths of God. It goes on in verse 7, it says, uh, at the end of verse 7, and uh, the Levites helped the people understand the law and the people stood in their place. Verse 8, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites taught the people, verse 9, and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. That sounds like Chick-fil-A, doesn't it? Uh, and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. You can't go there today, by the way. Um, <laughs> for this day is holy to our Lord, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people and saying, be still, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people sent their way to eat and drink and send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. So they gave the sense of the meaning, but they didn't give the sense of the meaning just so people would have a great understanding, but that people would be able to apply the understanding, to live it out. If we don't apply what God is revealing, any joy that comes with the revelation will soon fade. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know that? If we do not apply, you can get an instant joy. Remember the day you got saved? I'm calling everybody. <coughs> Ten years later, I'm afraid to call anybody. Right? That happens. You have to apply for the joy to, not, to even magnify, to even grow in your life. What we commit to, what we really commit to becomes lasting joy. What we commit to. If we don't apply what we know, then what we intellectually know just become layers of built-up biblical knowledge. And knowledge, the Bible says, puffs up. Knowledge isn't all that. You can have a whole lot of biblical knowledge. But it's applying it with the work of the Spirit in your life and living it and saying, Lord, I'm going to humbly obey these things and by faith believe that you'll do a great work in these things. And that's what God will honor in our lives, that commitment, that humble commitment, that humble surrender, saying, Lord, I want to take these truths and live them out. Please help me to do so. We need God's help to do it. We need grace. Even when we know what to do, we need God's help to do it. But if we don't apply what we know... Again, it's just a bunch of knowledge. And by the way, the people, they had two living examples of the faithfulness of God and the lives of real people, not someone that they had heard about in a history book, but real people. They had faithful examples of people right there in their presence who had obeyed the word of God and were applying it and demonstrating the power of it in their life. And those two people were Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, they were right there they had living examples, like, like the early church had the Peters and the Pauls. They had living examples of God really doing what he said he would do if people would walk in obedience. See, Nehemiah, remember, he had exercised great faith coming from Persia, leaving his great job to come to Jerusalem, and God used him to complete what seemed an impossible job. Truly, he, he had demonstrated that obeying the voice of God, you would see miracles take place. You would see amazing things. And then Ezra, who had returned prior to Nehemiah, he had come before Nehemiah, he was a key voice in the revival. In fact, his teaching of the people is just what uh, God proves again and again in the lives of the saints that we've seen before. It's the cloud of witnesses that we see uh, in Hebrews chapter uh, 12 and this, this trustworthiness of God. Ezra says, look, I, I've seen it in my own life. In the book of Ezra, you, you don't have to turn there, but you can write down Ezra 7, verse 10. Ezra 7, verse 10. Listen to what it says about Ezra. Now, now he's, he's sharing the Word of God that day. He's opening up, but he's also expounding on it, teaching on it. And listen to what it says. We know that Ezra was not just translating the Aramaic into Hebrew, although I do believe that was taking place because there were still some Aramaic speakers from the captivity, but he was doing more than just translation language-wise because it says in Ezra 7, verse 10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Did you catch that? He studied the word. Are you studying the word? He practiced it. Why? That he would actually be able to teach it and convey it to the lives of others. Parents, are you studying it and practicing it that you're passing it on to your kids? Are you studying and practicing it? You can pass it on to your neighbor. You'd be surprised how many unsaved people you have a chance to pass on something from the Lord just in a conversation. A primary reason why I believe that, that the law was not just being translated here, but also being taught 
uh, is because of Nehemiah's study in advance of this day. He knew that God was going to give him a platform. Was he going to be ready? The Bible says, study to show yourself to prove unto God, right? You have to be ready for the moment. The reason to every man who asks for the hope that lies within you, that you actually have been in the Word. So, by the way, if we don't have the Word in us, we have nothing to give out. Uh, best wishes, right? You ever seen people that are unsaved and, and, and you know, there's a death or something like that? And uh, thinking of you, that's nice, but there's no power there. I'm talking to God and asking that he would send the work of his spirit. There's power there. But we actually have to be in the word and in that relationship. Verse 9-11. When, uh, look at verse 9-11 again. Again, uh, this day is holy. The people begin to weep when they heard the words of the law. Uh, when we take to heart the word of God, it will bring conviction. The word of God will soften us. It will soften us. You ever read the word of God and you were kind of calloused that morning when you started reading, but then the more you read it, you're like, well, my attitude stinks. That's God's way of giving you a mirror, right? Gives us a mirror, the mirror of the word of God. It, it softens us, but it also comforts and corrects us because then they said, hey, don't we, we actually want you to rejoice at this moment. The spirit of God will tell you that at times. Spirit of God will say, look, I, I want you to drop those garments of grief and start praising me. Sometimes the Lord just says, look, I know you don't feel like doing this, but this is what you need. It'll bring us conviction, but it'll also bring us correction. It'll bring us comfort. But it also gives us a grace and guidance. And then they tell the people, do not sorrow. We want you to send portions out. We want you to be still. Those are all directions, directives. That God says, look, here's... You not only have you been convicted and God might give you comfort, but he says, here's now what I want you to do. Aren't you glad that God gives us the steps to take? I wonder what he wants me to do. I wonder what the will of God is. The will of God is found in the word of God. We apply the instructions. God just doesn't give us course correction, but he gives us joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm glad that God doesn't just give me correction and a list of instructions, but he gives me his joy. How about you? His joy. As Sam talked about, that, there, there, was, there was joy in knowing, joy in hearing, but then there was a greater joy in applying, and then the really great joy of taking it forward. We want to look at that last point as we come to a close. Time to share. We've we got to make time to be in the Word. We've got to make time to apply the Word. It's high time we made time. The Bible says... It's time to awaken out of our sleep and to make the time for these things, the time to share. It was not just for them, but to actually give out. Same way Ezra and Nehemiah were giving out their lives. Their lives were being poured out like a drink offering. They were saying to the people, you need to do this in your homes. You need to do this in your community. You need to do this in your neighborhood. And as Jesus would later send the disciples to Samaria and to the uttermost, it's a time to share. We've been given something of great value. We're not to hold on to it, but we're to give it out. And by the way, you don't, when you give out the truth of God, you actually have the same amount still left with you, and you give it out. It never, it's a never-ending supply. Isn't that great to know? It's a never-ending supply. Well, I can't give away this truth or I'll lose it. No, no, you give it away, and it multiplies. It's two becomes one, and four becomes eight, and eight becomes 16. 
You can do the rest of the math, Paul. You know, the math teacher over there. But, uh, uh, but the Word of God, it's given to impart life. It's given to impart peace. It's given to impart wisdom and joy personally. You need personally to be ministered to by the Lord here today. Personally. You need one-on-one water and word coming down out of heaven into your heart and life. But the larger plan, the larger plan is that by our obedience and by our surrender, we'll actually take it and bless others. That we go beyond ourselves. That we become not self-absorbed, but God-focused. And he so loved the world. God loves and sent Christ for the one. Each one is important. He'll leave the 91, 99 for one. Each one is important. But he's gathering a family. They gathered as one. We gathered this morning as a family. You're my bros and sisters, right? From another mother, right? You know, we're just, uh, we're all, God gathers us together. But we have one father. The walls of Jerusalem someday will become the walls of the new Jerusalem. Did you know that? Coming down out of heaven. The walls, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven, just like the word comes out of heaven, and every tongue, every tribe will be gathered in it. In fact, every gathering of the saints, every gathering of the saints, even the gathering we see in this eighth chapter, every gathering of the saints is but a foreshadow of the day when God, God will gather his whole family. Every time you see a gathering of the saints in the scriptures, it's a foreshadowing of the final gathering when God gathers the whole family. When we won't go have a Sunday meal together, we'll have an eternal meal together. And he'll share that with all. You know God's going to share everything he's got with us? Isn't that going to be wonderful? God's going to share everything. And what he shares with us now is the life of the Spirit found in the pages of Scripture if, 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 if we obey and apply it. And if we obey and apply it, we'll desire to share it. The Holy Spirit will put the desire. You will not be able to not give out living water to people if you are being quenched. If you're being, your thirst is being quenched, you won't keep it to yourself. You'll want to give it away. And it says here in verse 13, uh, it says, And all the people were gathered, Ezra and the scribes, in order to understand the words of the law. Verse 14, they found the written law which the Lord had commanded to Moses there in the seventh month. Verse 15, middle of verse 15, go to the mountains and bring the olive branches. Uh, and then it goes on to say, each one in verse 16, in the roof of his own house. But not only that, uh, it says that uh, they were to... Uh, in the cities, in verse 15, beginning of verse 15, sorry, I missed that. And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities. To go and announce it, to proclaim it, to take it beyond their own place, although there was still a personal responsibility. Each one had to set a booth on their own house. The personal is important, but to take it beyond the personal is equally important. It's not, it's not one or the other, it's both and. That God wants to do a personal work of the word in us, but also that it would actually then extend beyond us. He wants that life and grace to flow through us and others and beyond. You know, here's an amazing thing. Even to other generations. Listen to what God says. Uh, he's speaking to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. But he's speaking of the life of Moses and then it would happen in Isaac and it would ha happen in Jacob. He says, in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. God's speaking to Isaac. For to you and to your descendants, so this is well beyond him, 
and I will give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice. Listen to Abraham didn't just read the word. He heard the word and applied the word. Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. And God said to Abraham, and he said it to Isaac, he said, look up in the heavens. Not only am I going to have you share everything I give you, but I'm going to multiply it even when you are in the grave. It'll keep multiplying. That's what God wants to do with us. But the word has to be, what did, what did Abraham do with the word? He obeyed the word, his, God's voice, God's charge, God's commands, God's statutes, God's law. Abraham is saying, well, some of these I'm not really, they're too hard. I don't agree with some of these. They will impact my lifestyle. I don't want to live in a tent. I'd rather live in a 20-bedroom house. God says, no, you're going to be a sojourner. Do you see what I mean? And Abraham said, I'll do it. And God says, I'll bless not only you, but your descendants. You want your children and your grandchildren to be blessed? Start applying and loving and living in the Word of God. Final as we come to a close here. In verse 10, we saw in the hearing and believing, there's great joy in the Hebrew there. Verse 12, there's very great joy. And then finally, in verses 15 and 17, it says, and there was very great gladness. The end of verse 17, it was in the sharing and proclaiming the, the greatest of joy. It's that multiplication of joy. Verse 18 uh, is, is underlined in my Bible as a lifetime response to God's grace and truth. And it says, and day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. I read verse 18 as my life. Read this as your life. If you could say, that, if this was said of you at your memorial service, and fill in your name, day by day, from the first day they were saved until the last day they were alive, they read from the book of the law of God. You do that, I do that, and we apply that. God's going to multiply the fruit like he said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe that. Do you? God will quench your thirst. God will hydrate. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, Joshua said, this book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it. Day and night. That pretty much covers everything. Amen? That we'd have that kind of thirst and that kind of belief and that kind of faith. Let's pray.